Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Wow. Well, welcome to Palm Sunday. Anybody fired up for Easter? Come on now. Anybody fired up for the Easter Extravaganza Deluxe 2017 version 1? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, we um, are so thankful for just the overwhelming response of people wanting to be involved in what's happening uh, next week here at church. For those of you who don't know, we are going to be having the greatest block party in the history of block parties right after our church service uh, because I just can't think of a better day to throw a party than Easter Sunday. Uh, and we believe that God wants to begin to do something in this neighborhood and in this city uh, that's going to be marked with a great number of people uh, entering into life-transforming relationship with Jesus. And there's something about Easter that maybe for the first time, And maybe sometimes the only time a year people begin to think, man, I should go to church. It's weird. But it doesn't matter who you are. There's something inside of you that's like, I got to go to church on Easter Sunday. Your neighbor is thinking, man, I maybe should go to church on Easter Sunday. The people that you work with in your office are thinking, man, maybe I should go to church on Easter Sunday. And we want to make it as easy as possible for you to invite them into what's going to be happening because it's going to be an amazing day. It's going to be an incredible day, not just as God going to meet us powerfully here in our normal, quote-unquote, if that's what you want to call it, church service at 10 o'clock. But at 1130, we're having a block party with bounce houses and cotton candy and face painting and all kinds of stuff and literally thousands of Easter eggs, and it's going to be an absolute hoot nanny. All right? Don't be deceived by my skinny jeans. There's a country boy in here, all right? And we're going to be having a hootenanny that you're going to want to invite your friends to. So on your chair is a little card. It says Happy Easter on it. On the back, it has some simple details, including a map for people to be able to get to this incredible facility that we have that we get to call home on Sunday mornings here at Adobe Middle School. Go Roadrunners, okay? Um... And so, look, it's really easy. All you have to do is just go up to see your neighbor and say, like, hey, do you have any plans on Easter? We'd love to have you at our church, and you can give them this. Or maybe they have kids, and you can just say, hey, we're going to have this incredible party for kids with bounce houses and all kinds of free food and hot dogs and face painting. And there's going to be prizes and Easter egg hunt and all this other kind of stuff. And maybe there's even going to be a risen bunny there. Okay? Not an Easter bunny because some of y'all grew up in church. Y'all like, that's from the devil. So it's a risen bunny. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, all right? But there's going to be people in costumes and all kinds of fun stuff, and it's going to be a blast, and you're not going to want to miss it. Your kids are going to love it, okay? So we want everybody to invite somebody, all right? Everybody to invite somebody. And here's what's cool. We've actually already sent out over 5,000 invitations to our neighborhood here in the Rumberg area. And, and we are getting responses all the time, actually, people emailing us from the invitation excited about 
what we're going to be doing. So people are going to be coming, and it's going to be a blast, and your friends and your family and the people that you work with, they are going to not want to miss it, okay? And they're literally waiting. I believe people are waiting to be invited to church. I really believe that. It's crazy, man. When I invite people to church, they come. When I don't, they don't. It's weird. I don't know how that works, but it seems to work that way. So people are waiting for us to invite them, so we made it easy on you. So feel free this week to invite somebody to Easter Extravag... Easter Extravaganza... Easter Extravaganza Deluxe 2017 Version 1, all right? It's going to be something you're not going to want to miss. Okay, so... We talked a little bit already about the fact that today is Palm Sunday, that it is the day where the church at large all over the world celebrates and commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem before he was to die on a cross for our sins. This day is celebrated across churches, across denominations, across different theological understandings because it is a declaration that help is on the way. We talked about the fact that the people laid down palm branches as well as their jackets in front of Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he rode in to honor him, they laid these branches down on the ground so that the donkey would not even touch the ground but would walk on top of their coats and the palm branches and they began to declare a word of pregnant praise. Hosanna. Hosanna. And that word, as I mentioned earlier, means a couple of things. It means one a joyful expression of hope. It's a word used in worship where we joyfully express our heart to Jesus, but it also is layered with a need for rescue, with a need for deliverance, and is actually translated, save us now. And so you have a word of joy and expectation and also a plea for help. Have you ever needed help? For real, have you ever needed help? Have you ever heard somebody holler for help? I hear it all the time because I got four kids. Pray for me. Not just because I'm your pastor. Pray for me because I got four kids. Kids will make you crazy. Let me tell you why. Because help is a cross-cultural SOS for urgent assistance. When someone says, help, what does that mean? They need help. But children lie. Children lie. Children don't tell the truth. They use the word incorrectly. Now, when it was just Sophie, our first, who's now 10, when, when when she was little bitty, and she would holler, help, I would Run with expectation for urgent assistance. I was there for you, baby. I got you. What do you need? Four kids later, I've learned 10 years of parenting. I've learned that just because they say help doesn't mean they need help. 
Because children lie. They're liars. Sinners. All right? And I I remember now when I hear the word help, I don't move fast. There is no urgency. Because now help means I need help turning on a movie. That's not help. Help! I don't want to bend down and get my own water glass, Dad. Can you get it for me? No. Help! Dad, I can't find my shoes. That does not need an urgent response. You're misusing the word. Therefore, when you shout help, I'm not coming. Because you use word, the word help when I use the word lazy. It's different. One time we heard Tate go, help! We didn't move. No urgency. No desire to do anything but to wait and get more information. Has this happened to anybody else, parents? Oh, yeah, it's happened to you. You know. Okay, yeah. This is universal, all right? Some of you only have little kids. You haven't yet learned this. You're looking at me. You're judging me like he's so harsh. I'm like, nah, give it a couple years. Give it a couple years. When you're, when you're late to stuff because your kids lost their shoes, how do you lose your shoes? For real. How do you lose your shoes? You come into the house, you take your shoes off. How do you lose them? For real. We don't even have a big house. How did you lose your shoes? You take them off outside? No? You took them off. Then they're somewhere in the house. Do something. Look. Don't ask for Help yourself before you ask me for help. That's what parenting will do to you. You begin to get desensitized to the SOS for urgent assistance. And Tay goes, help! No, no response, no movement, just chilling. We're here to get help, daddy, help. Still not moved. Can hear the tears coming, but they've cried before. And see, some of y'all are judging me right now. I'm okay, I'm, I'm secure, all right, because I know what's coming for you. You got babies, it's coming. You're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But finally... We make our way in to find why Tate was screaming help. Somehow, this child, who's sitting right here, is a good-looking little boy, smart guy. Somehow, this child had broken his drum head on his drum set and put his head in the drum. And so now he's stuck because when he tries to get his head out of the drum, the drum head is trying to decapitate him. He's trying to cut his head off. And so when I walk in, I mean, I am hit with two emotions. The first is amazement. Like, wow, this is Okay. So I begin to figure out, how did this happen? Like, What was the thought process to get you to want to stick your head in the drum? Still haven't figured that out. I was amazed. Teddy got himself in a situation he couldn't get himself out of, so my wife had to come with the power of scissors. And we had to cut the drum head loose so that he could get his head out. 
Have you ever gotten stuck and you can't get yourself out? Have you ever cried for help because you're in a situation you can't get yourself out of? And if we're honest, sometimes we don't even know how we got there. And if somebody looks at you and says, how in the world did you get your head in that drum? And we like, I don't know, but I'm stuck. Can you help me? Can you give me some scissors, right? Yes, we, we all have because we all are human. To be human is to need help. We all need help. We've all cried out for help. We've all heard the cries for help. And that's why if you're taking notes this morning, the title of our talk is Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Of course, this is happening to me right now. My notes are completely out of order. So I look down. I'm like, Hebrews 4. I'm like, well, that's not where I was going. Because that's page 5. All right. Here we go. There's page 2. I'll do what preachers do. Somebody say amen. I always get you out of a bind when you feel stuck. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John 11. Because what I want to do is look at what happened right before Jesus' triumphal entry that we read about in John 12. It actually shows up in every one of the Gospels. All four of the Gospels, we have a story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey. It is the same across all of the Gospel accounts. But we're going to focus our time on the Gospel of John. And John 12, actually John 12, verse 12, is where you see the triumphal entry. But I want to focus on what happened in John 11, because I think there's something happened in John 11 that gives us a window on why the people responded the way they did in John 12. Because when Jesus began to ride in, they began to declare Hosanna. They began to say, help is on the way. Our help has come. Save us now. And I want to know why did the people begin to say that? What was going on inside of them before this pregnant declaration of praise? So John 11, starting in Verse 1, it says, now there was a man named Lazarus, and he was sick. He was from Bethany, from the village of Mary, his sister, and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, everybody say yet. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. You find that interesting? Jesus hears a urgent call for help. Jesus, we need assistance. Your friend is on his deathbed. And Jesus heard them. He loved them. But he didn't move. Jesus did not move. Nothing more frustrating than being in a hurry with somebody who's not in a hurry. If you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, you're the person that us hurriers are thinking about. 
Any hurriers in the room? I'm a hurrier. I, I like to hurry up and wait. I'm in a constant rush so that I don't have to feel rushed. Can I get an amen? I don't like hurrying when I have to hurry. I like hurrying before I need to hurry, right? And there's nothing worse than being in a hurry with somebody who doesn't hurry. I'm picking on Tate a little bit this morning. Tate doesn't hurry, man. Tate does not do anything fast. When we need Tate to move fast, he moves slower. It's like the pressure of hurry, the rebellion inside of him. He's like, nah. Nothing more internally frustrating than needing to get someplace in a hurry with someone who doesn't want to hurry. And here we have Jesus acting like Tate. Not in a hurry. Concerned, but not moving. Grieved, but not moving. Hurting, but not moving. Compassionate, but not moving. Because Jesus knew something that Mary and Martha did not yet know. And that's that, yes, Lazarus is dying. Yes, it's painful and hopeless. But help was on the way. Help was on the way. So so take heart in your situation. If you're calling out for help and there's pregnant praise of deliverance on your lips and all you can perceive is that the heavens are not moving, don't mistake silence for apathy. Don't mistake what our perception of heaven's silence for heaven being apathetic. Because Jesus was coming. Help was on the way. Two days later, he looks at his disciples and he says, our friend Lazarus, in verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus, has fallen asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. And, and I want to read what happens in verse 17 through 27. It's a big group of Scripture, but I have hope that you can hang with me. Can you hang? On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than a two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The help had come. 
Jesus looks at Martha and says, your now is not going to be your forever. Your, your brother will rise. Do not mistake my silence for apathy. Help is on the way. Your help has come. And then Jesus asked them to take him to where Lazarus had been laid. And it says in verse 34, come and see, Lord, they replied. And this is what verse 35 says. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is amazing to me because this is different than the Jesus I grew up hearing about. I I grew up hearing a story of a Jesus that only was concerned with if I did right or if I did wrong. Did I have a good day and his eyes were a bad? I didn't know of a Jesus who was concerned with the pain of my day. I didn't know of a Jesus that wept with me in my disappointment. Wept with me in my discouragement. Wrapped his arms around me in my pain. But how many of you know that that sometimes a good father will allow pain if the pain has a purpose. I'm going to say that again because that was a lot deeper and a lot. I'm going to start shouting myself down. That was so good. A good father will allow pain if that pain has a purpose. I mean, I, I remember, this is Tate again. Man, Tate, we're just having a good old time talking about you today, brother. We were on a spring break trip, and our family was all together, and we were doing an outreach in a, in a lower-income area, and so the, the, the roads were dirt roads, and there was piles of trash and sticks and all kinds of stuff all over the place, and Tate was about five at the time, and he's running around and, and going crazy all over the place, and he trips and falls, and he happens to fall on a giant pile of scrap wood. And those splinters made easy work of the jeans he was wearing, and his knees were filled with what seemed like to be hundreds of terrible, deep splinters. And I remember we got back to the hotel that we were staying at, and we finally got kind of our first look at what we were dealing with. And I knew what needed to happen. I knew that I needed to pull out these splinters or there was a chance that he was going to get an infection that was going to be way worse than the pain that he's going to feel from me pulling out these splinters. And so being still young and dumb in the parenting game, we, I thought that my little buff wife would be enough to be able to hold down Tate. And so that was our first strategy. So Tate sits in Liz's lap and she's holding him. And I start trying to get these splinters out, and he just makes easy work of Liz, man. He is free and not having anything to do with this situation. And so I tell him, I tell you, you got to stay still, man. And he just, the pain was too much, and he's flailing and kicking. And so I have to leave the hotel room and go find two of my friends to come and hold Tate down as I'm pulling these splinters out of his knee. 
And I'll never forget hearing, Daddy, no! Daddy, no, please, Dad, stop. Dad, please. Dad, it hurts. Dad, don't do this to me, Dad. Just tears coming down his face, and I'm now I'm crying. And I feel every single splinter coming out. But I know that if I don't cause this momentary pain, that the pain that is to come would be far greater than what he's having to endure right now. And with tears coming down my face, I'm looking at him, screaming, crying, telling me, no, daddy, no, daddy. And I can see past the momentary pain because I'm a loving father who sees that this pain has a purpose. And Jesus looks at Mary and Martha, and he is grieved. And he knows that this pain has a purpose. He knows that Lazarus is getting ready to come back to life, that the morning was getting ready to turn to dancing, yet he does not look at them with a robotic stare and say, would you see the big picture, please? He weeps. He weeps. He met them in their pain. He grieved with them. He was in the middle of mourning because they were mourning. Their pain had a purpose. And it was getting ready to transition from a season of mourning to a season of rejoicing. But something amazing happens. Because Jesus says, would you take me over to the tomb? And they go to the tomb. And then he makes another request. He says, would you roll the stone away from the tomb? And here's Martha, the one who had moments before said, but you can do anything that you ask of the Father. She goes, for real, Jesus, it's going to be stinky in there, man. He's been up in that rock for like four days. It stinks out here. We roll that rock back. It's about to get real. You sure you want us to roll that rock back, Jesus? Have you ever had hope in Jesus but not faith that he can move a mountain? There's a difference. You know, there's a difference. They were comforted by Jesus' presence, but when it came down to making a radical step, they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. This dude's been cooking in this rock for four days. You want me to move that rock? Do you know what that's going to smell like? That's going to be nasty. And Martha's like, ah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, is anybody else like Martha or just me? Where, Where we like to hang out with Jesus, but when he asks us to move the stones that are covering the dark death inside of us, we're like, whoa, 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 guy. You don't want me to move that rock, Jesus. You don't want me to open up that rock because inside of that rock, there's some stuff that does not look churchy. That's not the churchy JD that you see. That, that's the real, that's the stuff I hope nobody finds out about. That's the hateful thoughts that I think that I hope nobody ever hears. That's the stuff I did in my past that I, I pray 
that nobody ever finds out about. That's what's inside of that tomb. That's what's been cooking inside of that death inside of me for as long as I can remember. You want me to move that rock? Ah. It's going to smell. That death has been rotting in there for a long time. It's going to have an effect. Jesus says, move the rock. Because who Jesus is, is to turn dead things and bring them back to life. That, that, that's, that's who he is. That, that's what Jesus said of himself. Because you have to understand that in this moment, this pregnant praise that was coming out of the people's lips as Jesus rode in in Jerusalem, this is coming on the back end of them hearing for hundreds of years of prophecies of a Messiah that was going to come, that was going to right the wrongs and be a good, just king. And they begin to hear stories of this Jesus that was doing things that was prophesied about. And people's eyes begin to open and they begin to say, Hosanna, help is on the way. And so they're beginning to say like, wow, wow, wow. This Maybe this is the Jesus that's written about in Isaiah. Maybe this is the Messiah that we get windows into in the prophetic writings hundreds of years before Jesus even stepped foot on the earth. And, and one of these prophecies that was written about Jesus that Jesus even quoted at the beginning of his ministry is Isaiah 61. And it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to do excuse me, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And they will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so they began to gather, and when they heard that Jesus was coming, this man who had turned dead things back to life, who had turned the, the morning party for Lazarus into a celebration party. The morning had turned to dancing, that, that the darkness had turned to light. They began to say, Hosanna! Our help is on the way. Our help is on the way. The deliverance, the death that's inside of me can be brought back to life. The deep death. Not the surface stuff. The deep stuff can be brought back to life. And the people began to praise with prophetic expectation, with pregnant praise, saying, save us now. Save us now. And they began to honor Jesus and wave palm branches in the air and lay him down on the road. And they were saying, Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes from the Lord. Bless you. Bless you, Jesus. Hosanna. Our help has come. Our help has come. Hosanna. I save us now. So as we tee up and get ready for the greatest party of all time, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, let's take a moment and remember that the reason he came and did what he did is because we cried out for help. And he heard our cry. He didn't turn a deaf ear to our need. His silence at times that we feel is not apathy. 
Because our now doesn't have to be forever because our help is on the way. Would you stand with me?